Hello everyone, and welcome to the Articulating Insight Podcast with me, Zane. The Articulating Insight Podcast is going to be an art podcast focusing primarily on film and music, and I will have guests from around the internet that I feel would have interesting perspectives on these things. So this first episode I'm just doing on my own so I can lay out my principles and biases so you have a better idea where I'm coming from in later episodes and also my goals with this podcast in the first place. So. On this podcast, my goal is to talk about the foundational principles of art in a way that I feel hasn't been talked about very much in the current circles with media criticism. And yet I think these these sort of ideas are really important because I think it's inspiring and, I don't know, it's it's just important to consider what art is made for and what people can gain from it. I'm not interested in talking about art history or looking at art in a traditionally academic or detached way. Um, I want to bring art uh, conversation to more universal, grounded terms that are based in basic logic so that we can move away from the preconceptions that have kind of developed in the artistic community to, I I hope, open up the the art conversation to more accessible but also more meaningful terms. So in this way, I guess I'll just start off with what I kind of define art as, although it's, like, I guess it's kind of unconventional. Like, if you were to look in a, in a dictionary, this isn't what it says, but this is what I've kind of internalized art as, as its function for people. So I think that art is the preservation of insight, which, you know, is the title of the podcast, Articulating Insight. That's what art is, the articulation of insights that people have. Um, so in that way, what I mean by that is that it's like old parables uh, that you were passed down from generations. Well, not you specifically, but you know, anyone. Like, if your parents or grandparents tell you a story from their life, usually it's because they have a kind of idea with this story, like an insight that they want to give to you so you don't have to go through those same experiences to get the rewards of that insight. Um, So, like in that way, art is like the forever preservation of that. So now, instead of just telling it to one person, you now have this document that can be accessed or potentially forever. And in that way, now those insights can be accessed to uh, like an infinite amount of people, technically. And it, you have now kind of extended yourself beyond the amount of time you're on this earth. And now these sensibilities and like insights you've preserved can be accessed by everyone so in this way you can kind of gauge the effectiveness of a work of art by evaluating the value and constructiveness for for you or whatever of the insights that are being preserved in the in the work are and also figure out how effective the work is at articulating these insights so now in this way of kind of judging art, we've now moved away from the broad parameters of good acting, good cinematography, and now we're looking at what the, well, like the filmic examples, that's mainly what I'm going to focus on, I think, um, in that now these are tools to deliver this insight. So now we don't just have the classic, like, oh, good cinematography has symmetry, uh, uh, striking colors, you know, these certain parameters we've developed to evaluate cinematography and acting doesn't necessarily need to be this like emotive like cry on command sort of like method acting thing. Now it's like was the acting or cinematography effective at preserving this sort of worldview or perspective that the film wants to offer? Um, I think, yeah, I'll use an example for this. So you have the films of, um, of Robert Bresson who was someone who would drill takes into his actors like so many times so that their acting would all become like really dry, reserved, kind of removed from emotiveness and like almost like a machine type thing. So now that was what his films wanted to preserve uh, in, in terms of, like that worked towards 
his worldview that he wanted to put forth, is that good acting? Would that work in a film where that wasn't the goal? I mean, like, it wouldn't work in a film where that wasn't the goal, but that doesn't mean it's not good acting. That means it was good for the film it was in. And so now we have now evaluated the film, or that tool in a film, in context, rather than just using a broad parameter. It's, that's, that, that's a big thing I'm going to be harping on here. And, like, this doesn't remove the subjectivity of film, because when you look at these things through what each film is trying to preserve, you can now choose for yourself what you want to internalize from it. You know what I mean? Like, you can look at this film and be like, does this worldview click with the principles I've developed? Like, click with my own kind of sensibility? Or do I want to not engage with this? And then now, once you've gotten past that, you can now also look at how effective it was articulated and what your preferences when it comes to, like, articulation techniques are. Like, you can decide what type of cinematography you're partial to, what kind of acting you're partial to, and also see how that works in tandem with the work itself. Like, it's all really basic stuff. I just wanted to, like, lay it out in fundamental terms, because personally, I guess I don't listen to, like, a ton of movie podcasts, although I've listened to a few, but I, I do engage with, um, like, media circles on Letterboxd, and uh, I've watched YouTube reviewers in the past, and I just, I haven't heard people outline, like, the basic things, like, what is good acting, and yet people use terms like that a lot, and I feel like to use those things without defining what they are, and, like, what kind of context you're using, is... Uh, like you're missing something like I, I just I don't know that's what I'm trying to say there but um, I think something that's important to confront right off the bat is when I'm talking about insight I'm not talking about direct thesis statement type like themes like not anything you can put into like a sentence it doesn't have to be that insights can be into anything it can be into aesthetics it could be into like any sort of craftsmanship so I think a, a, a good word for insights that I'll use a lot is instead sensitivities. So, I, an example I use a lot, I used it in a 2001 review I wrote a while ago, is that um, an example of like a guy who spends his whole life looking at trees. He is really like, he spent hours and hours just staring at trees. And this is his passion, he's compelled to do this. And through this, he's developed opinions on certain branch structure, bark texture, like leaf color, like all these things that could possibly make up the appearance of a tree. And now if that person wants to go and paint a picture of a tree or take a picture of a tree or whatever, preserve some aspect of this tree's aesthetic, he can now draw from all that experience and then put it all together in this perfect or at least informed portrait of a tree. And so now everyone else can now think, oh, look at this tree. Like, if I spend time with this work, it'll, it'll almost be similar. Like, you won't be as nuanced, obviously, but you've now reaped the rewards of what this guy has spent these hours trying to do, which is study this, tr like, study trees. And you wouldn't get that if you get, um, like, a, a tree picture or portrait from someone who just, who doesn't give a shit about trees. He just, you know, he just hasn't paid attention to that. And so... I, I think that's what I mean by sensitivity. So that can be to anything. You can spend a lot of your life being astute to human relationships, being like noticing the complexes people have, the tendencies people have when, say, arguing or discussing all that, and then channel that to your work. And now people could be like, oh, now I kind of notice those things in people too. And they didn't have to spend all those hours looking into it. You know, so that's what I mean by sensitivities. And I also want, want to say this is not exclude escapism that your sensitivities to these like to certain machinations or I guess genres or like iconographies and certain things can be channeled into a work to make it effective for people you know in the same way like a guy who's good at building roller coasters can build a really good roller coaster uh, I think a type of filmmaking example would be someone like Quentin Tarantino, who spent a lot of time engaging with pulp media, B-movies, old random rockabilly and all that, and can now channel that into something that's cool and approachable, and makes these things cool to people who aren't as geeky and don't give a shit about spending all the time to get into those things. So, yeah, in that way, I just... It, like, it's kind of all under the umbrella of 
what an artist is supposed to do. And I think an artist is supposed to, like, transfer, um, to transfer these insights that they've developed, like, hopefully. And, um, yeah, like, then we can just evaluate works based off what we get from those insights and whether they're valuable to us and also how effective the work is at it. Um, so I think the kind of flip side of this is that I, I don't want people to feel the need to praise works that they feel are accepted as big and important, like in quotes. Um, I think more people... I think a good example of this is that more people would be willing to go out on a limb to praise something like Hereditary uh, instead of something like Speed Racer because Hereditary feels dark, serious, and like cooler and more important um, than a film like Speed Racer which is campier, sillier, and feels like what people would call like a children's film and would kind of want to distance themselves from because you would think kids are of lesser intelligence. But however for me, I would argue Speed Racer is a more rewarding work, or at least it was for me, because I think it's central themes of artistic passion. Like, though I find that inspiring and, and an important thing for art. And I think it's willingness to embrace the campiness in its aesthetic, which is the same thing that turns people away, is in a way courageous, because it's not embarrassed of these things, and it's willing to just go all out with its silly, candy-colored aesthetic and just not give a shit about whether or not it's cool. Um, and, like, I, I don't want it like this to flip around and be like, oh, depressing films can't be good. Because they absolutely can. There's a great deal of depressing or films with kind of negative perspectives that are absolutely essential films. But I just want people to be conscious of the fact that don't just feel the need to be like, oh, I have to rate... XYZ type film higher because this is what a good film is, you know, in quotes. So, this is, like, yeah, just look, look at what the film is offering you. Like, think about, like, what did I gain from this movie and were the feelings and insights it gave to me conducive to my personality? Or, or however you feel, or conducive to your perspective or sensibility. A lot of ways to phrase it. But, like, what I'm saying there is that um, you don't have to like, is it, is it so like after school especially, you don't have to like what everyone else likes. But it's true. Like, and that's why I, I kind of get worried about with the cultural circles I was talking about earlier in these kind of circles of criticism, people do subscribe to this sort of groupthink when it comes to these things and will feel scared to go against the the norm there even when they're totally justified in doing it you know so i don't think that should happen and of, and of course with every extreme don't be contrarian either and just feel the need to go against what everyone says because that's equally as blind i'm just saying develop your own perspective on these things and before you even do that the the best first step is just think like what did that film give me and uh do i want to support something like this you know like, and I, I feel like a, um, another sort of trend, I guess, this extends to is something like exoticism, where what I mean by that is that people will feel the need to go and watch some, like a 1940s French film or something, like something totally removed from a cultural context they have any familiarity with, and then they'll feel the need after they watch something like that to just sing its praises and give it like a super high rating disproportional to what they got out of it. Like, um, for, like, I think, to me, a film that really started off these ideas of mine, even though I haven't seen it, just people's responses to it, is something like Satan Tango, where they'll watch, like, this nine-hour fucking Hungarian film, um, and they'll be like, that's the best film I've ever seen in my life. It's so good. And then I've talked to them, like, what did you get out of it? It's like, th the colors were pretty, and, uh, I don't know, like they say it's sad or whatever, like I don't fucking know, but like, the thing is, is that, and not even that example, like I'm sure there are people totally justifying living Saint Tango, it's probably a great film, I just haven't familiarized myself with Bellatar, whatever, but again, I'm just using an example of like, so if all you got out of this random fucking foreign movie that, that you kind of, 
that you felt that compelled to watch is that it was pretty and mysterious. Th- that's not a great deal of insight you've gained from that movie. So why should you feel compelled to call that one of your favorites when I'm sure there's a great deal of other movies that have done more for you because you're more familiar with them? And I'm not using this as a way to discourage exploration or leaving your comfort zone because that's absolutely important. You should go watch foreign films and films from you know older decades, things out of a context you're familiar with, absolutely. But don't feel compelled to kind of touristy jump between these things in order to maintain like an image. That, that's what I'm trying to get at there, is that, like, again, it's the same thing I said with um, Hereditary and all that. Just think, like, what did the film give you? And I, I think if you do that, you'll already be a step ahead of a lot of the people who feel, who feel these need to kill up these images. <laughs> this is so kind of getting luxury. I don't mean to be luxury. I just okay because it's like the first episode of the podcast. I gotta lay out my ideas, what I think about these things, and I and I want to think about what this can mean to other people. Because if I just be like, oh, my favorite movie is this, that, and the other thing, and I and I like uh, I like pretty lights. Like what? <laughs> like it doesn't say anything to you to you guys, the audience, the the the, the peons that I speak to. No, it's. Uh, I'm just trying to explain my perspective in a way that I think would be valuable for other people. So I'm really sorry if this comes off luxury. I don't mean to do that. I don't mean to tell you what you can and can't like, obviously. And in fact, I'm trying the opposite. I'm telling you, don't listen to what everyone else says. Don't listen to anyone but your own brain, obviously. I guess the, but okay, okay, you know what? The fact that I just said that is an important thing to take into account. Don't be afraid of other people's influence either. Sometimes there are other people that do have more nuanced perspective on things, like me. Obviously, why you're listening to the podcast? Because I'm the smart guy. That's not what I mean. I'm just I'm saying like throughout my life, I've had tons of people I would consider idols. Like I would say at different parts of my life, I've looked up to different artsier people, and but through listening to these people, uh, seeing what they like. Li- like listening to their perspectives on things, trying to to suss out their principles. He, he said sus. He said sus. <laughs> trying to figure out their principles. Uh, that that's been really valuable for me because I've now gained these ex- extra perspectives on these things and figured out what I want to internalize from it, which ties into what I said you should do with art. Figure out what the film is preserving and what you want to get from it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so so don't be afraid of like like thinking this guy is really cool. Me, obviously, this, this guy this guy Zane the Dude Man is really cool. I'm gonna listen to everything he says, and don't be afraid to do that and go buy the merch. <laughs> Funny joke, but no, don't be afraid to to look to look up to people and see what you want to take from them because. You can develop a, a totally independent, cool sensibility on your own, and people have, but it does help to hear from like-minded people and get some tips and shortcuts along the way. Mm. Yeah, here's something uh, I've been kind of talking about a lot recently, making this podcast. You know what? Yeah, let's just get right into a, to an example about um, the with this podcast specifically. So I recorded the first episode of this podcast a few days ago, and it didn't take where... You notice I'm trying really hard to stay, like, clean, articulate, professional, because a few days ago I recorded the first episode of this podcast, and it was just... Like, it was all right. Like, I talked about the same ideas. In fact, to do this podcast, I listened to that first episode, I wrote down the ideas I said... And then I kind of used them again and also expanded upon them. But I didn't plan it in advance. And I thought, it's a fucking podcast, like a Let's Play, which, like, I've done Let's Plays before, and you just, you just go, Mario, jump, yes! Like, that kind of shit. Man, that fucking peaked the mic. I don't know what that was. Um, But, like, you don't need to plan a lot. And then I try this podcast thing, and I'm coming in like, oh, the, the art. The principles. Actually, it wasn't even like slow. It was like me just firing off. I'm probably going a little fast now, but whatever. I, I want to be done with this first episode. I want to fucking talk to people. Um, I was just firing off 
not even cogent, tons of pauses, ums, ahs, like, and so then, this is where the actual message of it, the, this story gets out, I sent it to people, and this, this is kind of a, a back and forth on both sides, they, they said, they were just like right off the bat, they were just like, you should re-record it, you should, you, should do, you should do this again, because you're not speaking good. But that frustrated me because actually something I talked about in that first episode twice was I didn't want to script it because if I did, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And that's true. If I had went about scripting that first episode without just doing it first, I don't think for me it would have worked. And I, I like if you're listening for advice for your own podcast, God forbid, <laughs> God forbid, um, do it if you feel you can but for me I knew if I had sat down and started writing stuff out it would have been really jumbled and wouldn't have fit with what the flow of just talking is because I'm not I've never just went off on by myself talking about these things before so I didn't wasn't familiar with that flow but luckily doing it that first take figuring out how the flow works and now coming back to do this one although this one isn't a lot more cogent but it's it's better. It's better. This still isn't like peak professionalism, given the fact that I fucking gave out on what I'd written down about, tw- I don't know, less than 20 minutes in. Um, was that I, I, I did have to adjust that feedback. However, I think there is an important thing where it can be discouraging at first to just receive do it again. And I do feel like some responsibility falls on you, the feedback giver. To be specific, that was the thing, because when I woke up and read those things about the podcast, I just felt like shit and I didn't know what to do, because I was already still in that mindset of I can't write it down, because I didn't know that listening to it back would help open that up. So, if they had been like, (laughs) I'm not trying to accuse my friends for helping me, but giving me negative feedback, I'm not trying to be like, how dare they, how dare they critique Zane, what the fuck, no, what I mean is, is that... Like, you should really put some thought into what you say to independent... Well, not even independent, to any sort of creator. To any sort of creator. Because if they had been... If they had listened to the whole podcast, confronted my insecurities about it, but said, here, maybe just try re-recording the intro and write down a few things and stuff, which is what one of them did. And it helped a lot. And that's how I got here. That's how I started doing this. If they had just been like that from the get-go, I think that's important. So I'm just saying you should... I don't mean to be all, like, touchy, like, oh, you got to be sensitive, but I think you should put in an extra amount of thought when you're giving feedback directly to creators or in a space that is visible to creators. Like, I see on Letterboxd, like, I see, you know, people upload their little independent short films, and th- they just get, like, bad, didn't like, like, half-star, like, garbage, dog shit, or some stupid joke back. And, like, sure, like, people can joke whatever they want, it's funny, whatever, but I just think as, from both the creator and the feedback giver perspective, it's so much more of a rewarding relationship if you take, like, the five minutes of conscious thought to go in there and be like, hey, I didn't like X, Y, Z, and, yeah, this is why, like, just explain a bit of your take, like, and, like, try not to, and that's what I'm saying, like, my friends did that. They said what they didn't like, but I feel like if you can go and give something specific, it could be way more helpful. And, yeah, but, like, I mean, regardless, any sort of feedback is helpful. I'm so glad my friends didn't just humor me, say, oh, it's good, and bye, or just say nothing. Um, but And, of course, they're not obligated to fucking say anything. I'm just saying the gradient of what helps me out is that giving any feedback at all is better than nothing, obviously. And then giving really specific feedback is like you're basically a part of creating the thing. Because I, I credit the friends who, I'll even say their names. I'm going to shout out on the first episode of the Articulating Insight podcast. Their lives will be fucking clear sailing from here on out. But uh, Stephen and Lore, my, my good friends, they gave me feedback. And basically through that, they helped create this thing. And, you know, I, I might end up bringing up later in the podcast, who knows, something that I do think... A big part of creating art is maintaining a singular sensibility. Because like I said earlier, if you want to preserve insights from your life, 
your singular perspective on things that you've learned, which I think, like, obviously the best works of art are going to be from people who have really unique and learned sensibilities into things, or insights, sens sensitivities, all the fucking words I use. Um, when you let other people interfere in that process, that can become a slippery slope because they can muddy those things. Of course, if people share similar insights and stuff, it works out great, but it, it's hard to determine those things and a lot of the time you are better off doing it on your own but this is a this is a podcast this is a new medium for me and although i, I don't want to build myself up but like i i did have sensitivities to these ideas that i wanted to bring out and uh, and what i thought was a unique perspective which is why i wanted to do this in the first place and although i'm sure there's other people out there obviously whatever it's etc but uh be open to feedback, but don't rely on it. And don't be holden to what you think everyone else wants, too. And that's what I talked about earlier. In the same way, when you're engaging and, like, say, critiquing a work of art, feeling the need to engage in this groupthink and what everyone else uh, characterizes as an important or good work, don't feel the need to make what everyone characterizes as an important or good work. Like, I should fucking talk. I fucking spent all my fucking time making AMVs and I'm just trying to, to build myself up or anything and I think I've fallen into those traps before once I started to really pay attention to the reception to them and kind of culture surrounding them but like I made AMVs because I was compelled to that I was just like I want to see this video preserved in the world like I want to see this I want to it's like buying something I want to have this product but it doesn't exist so I got to make it and, and by being the own target demo for your own product, you, you're going to know about it better than anybody because now you don't have to try and guess what whoever your audience is, is going to like. And, yeah. <laughs> and again, I'm not trying to say, like, so I made the best AMVs ever, and uh, my process was flawless, so listen to me. I'm not saying that, obviously. Why do I feel the need to keep fucking defending myself? Like, I don't know, I... I don't have these grand ideas about myself. I just, I just want to, I just want to talk about stuff. I just want to talk about stuff. And it, of course, this is gonna come off as self-obsessed because I'm doing a podcast by myself for the first episode. Do, have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to do a podcast by yourself? I can barely do a let's play by myself. I'm not a fucking podcast. But I, I'm gonna get guests. I got guests on the line. I got guests scheduled. I got guests ready. So you guys better be fucking prepared for some insights to be articulated here. I have no idea how this is going to flow with that. I, I, have, I, got some, I got some sample questions made up, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, let's, let's, talk, let's talk more about art. Let's talk more about art. I think the quintessential example of something that I'll bring up a lot as yeah, a, a kind of controversial take of mine, as it were, is 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is a film... I don't have any affection for, and probably is the was an inciting incident to a lot of the ideas I talk about here, where to me, 2001 doesn't offer me much as a film, and I still think it's, it's fascinating, I think other people could probably get things out of it, but for who I am, I don't get a lot out of 2001, and the crazy thing is, like I look at the lowest rated reviews on Letterboxd, and besides people saying it's boring, I didn't like it, which I obviously don't condone because you aren't being conscious towards what the film is saying if you're only considering your initial experience watching it. Like, obviously, that, that's not right. But I don't see a lot of people articulating the perspective I, I, I held on the movie, which is that I think it paints humanity in these very broad strokes that doesn't speak to me much as an individual. And, that's, I, and I think that just has to do with my way of thinking, where... I'm not a very politically or broad-minded person, not because I don't think those things are, not because I don't think those things are important, but because I find it difficult to think in those registers. I can much better look at someone's like um, circumstances in life and give them suggestions for, or not even give them suggestions, just have an opinion on how I think they should they should help themselves or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I can look at an individual perspective and be like, oh, you can do these things. But if I look at a group of people, a country, and, and like in 2001's case, all of humanity, I just get lost. Like, I just don't know how to think of these things. 
So when it comes to 2001, I watch this movie and all the people are obviously ciphers for these big, broad ideas about humanity. All, all the cinematography is this really detached, clinical sort of like spacey stuff that doesn't do much for me. And um, I just find a lot of the filmmaking in it particularly uninspiring for me. Uh, just because it's not very... I don't feel like its use of editing is particularly inspiring, especially during the Beyond the Infinite sequence and the big psychedelic sequence at the end. I find that pretty blasé when it comes to quote-unquote psychedelic sequences beyond, like, the Stargate, which is cool. I, I just find, like, the shots of the eye in the desert, like, with all the infrared colors, like, I, I just find it comes off a little, uh, just a little, a little half-baked, I don't know, but... Okay, don't get mad at me. Or you don't fucking get mad at me. And then explain your perspective on the movie. Because I would love... And that's the thing. That was what frustrated me most. You know what? It wasn't that I read all the half-star reviews and didn't see my take there. Because you're like, sure, whatever. I mean, people just don't think in, in those terms when it comes to 2001. Sure. The worst part was that when I was looking at the five-star reviews, I didn't really see any that talked about what the movie was fucking doing. Most of the five-star reviews I saw for 2001 were just saw this in IMAX, best experience of my life, when the, the fucking also spat Zarathustra uh, needle drop happens, I coom and stuff like that. And it was, it was just like this huge circle jerk of people uh, just talk about this movie without talking about what it did for them, like beyond the experience. Like what did they... Like, what was Kubrick even trying to do? Like, I, I've seen reviews since. I've seen reviews since that are convincing about what it tried to do. I still... It hasn't sold me on the movie for me. But I... And I'm thankful it'll stop for reviews. But I was... It just kind of got me thinking. It's like, I can't be the only one thinking like this. I, I can't be the only one who doesn't get anything out of this movie and, and wasn't just bored by it. Yeah. Like, that, that's what I mean. Like, I just think... When people feel the need to... I, here's another telling thing about it. When I first saw the movie, I hated it. I was like 12, so it, I probably wasn't for the most, you know, unbiased of reasons. Uh, I hated it. And then I didn't watch it again. And then I remember on my letterbox, I was checking my history. And like, I don't know, like three or four years later, I rated it four and a half stars. Why did I rate it four and a half stars? I never liked the movie. I suddenly just like... I kept hearing all this discourse about it. I was like, oh, it's a great movie. I gotta like it. And that's bullshit because I didn't like the movie. I didn't get anything from it. So that's... Maybe, I'm just... Maybe, maybe that's what I'm trying to say here. It's just this cautionary tale of... If you don't if you don't get anything out of a movie, you don't have to fucking like it. And of course, I would have been open to... like. I, know, I revisited 2001 since then, and I, I, when, I, when I saw it actually in the IMAX screening, I saw it with a friend, and I just walked up, everyone was like, whoa, at the end. Like, uh, you know, probably for their own reasons, for liking the movie. And I just turned to my friend, I was like, I fucking hated that. <laughs> I hated that. I don't know, I just think it's a funny image. Um, but, what was I saying? Just, yeah, be open to having your initial perspective changed on a movie, because there have been tons of movies where I've, at first I'm just like, Ooh, I, I don't know, I don't you think I like it. And then I go back to him just like, oh, like something clicked, I learned something, and I was just more in tune to the movie, and it was fucking awesome. And, it, well, actually, my favorite movie of all time that happened, the, Vincent Gallo's The Brown Bunny, I, which is funny because I talk about 2001 as in a movie I don't like, maybe one of the most widely acclaimed films ever, and The Brown Bunny, which was a pretty widely reviled film, at least for a while. Um, but I saw the movie the first time, and I love Buffalo 66. I had I had a lot of faith in Vincent Gallo. And then I watched it and I was just like, what the fuck? Like, like the, the, all the shots were so janky. The, the, the pace was so slow. And I didn't understand. Like, it seemed to me like a, like a whiny son of a bitch type movie. I was like, why is Gallo asking us to sympathize with this fucked up dude who just kisses girls and leaves? I don't want to see that. Uh, <laughs> and then... And then I just, I, I just kept thinking about the movie, and I was like, you know, that was cool. That was cool what he did there. And like, I didn't, I wasn't sure at the time, but that was cool. That was cool. And then I revisited the movie, and I also listened to his director's commentary on the movie, where he describes exactly his goals with the movie and everything. And I was just like, I'm actually in agreement with everything this movie's doing. And now suddenly my suspicions regarding the weirder parts of the movie 
I, I didn't feel them anymore because now they had been refuted by a misunderstanding. I didn't understand the film at first, and I'll admit it. And then once I understood the movie, <laughs> I've heard the argument before. It's like, well, if you needed outside things, like the director's commentary to understand the movie, the movie wasn't good. Well, no, I, I probably would have gone around to the movie anyway if I'd given it more chances. It was just, it just helped. It just helped. And I, I assure you, I've seen the movie like 13 times. I assure you, it's not just the director's commentary. And even then, if the director's commentary unlocks something for you and you could watch the film beyond that uh, a great deal of times, then it was just a catalyst or something. The film still is enjoyable to you, but whatever. I, I don't get hung up on the semantics of like, ooh, but I can't like the movie if I liked it this way. Like, who fucking cares? Like, you like the movie now, it's cool. But, I mean, obviously still be conscious about why you like it, whether you just got charisma into it, you know? Like, if you watch the director's commentary, like, ooh, this guy's cool. This guy... Like, this guy used a bunch of big words. He must be cool. That's not that's not good. But if the director... Like, I think what Gallo does, particularly in the last third of that commentary, talking about what he... I mean, probably a lot of my ideas come from that director's commentary because I was so obsessed with it, where he talks about being the curator. Instead of... He doesn't consider himself an artist. He considers himself a curator of trying to preserve these things he has a sensitivity to and... And trying to get those forth as clear as possible so other people can access them. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's basically like all I fucking said. So, yeah, whatever. You probably, I mean, when I talk about my, my idols, obviously, uh, Vincent Gallo was, is a, is a big one. Although, it obviously comes to the head of his Instagram account and all these controversial things he's done. And I really can honestly say I'm not just hero worshiping. I'm not just blind listening to what he says and all that. Because I've put in a lot of thought into into the things he's done and the things that are very, you know, like they're what are accepted to be bad things he's done. Like like posted things that can be considered racist rhetoric and shit. And I try to reconcile these things. And I just don't know what to think of him because again, it's like what I said when I was talking about 2001. I'm not a politically minded person. If he was calling out specific individuals that I knew about them, like I listened to them a lot, like to, to talk to them and knew their context, maybe I could form opinions. But I don't know about the individuals he's talking about because almost all of them are politicians. Like, I, I'm glad he likes Kanye West because I like Kanye West. I'm glad he repped the fucking Skip James and Sly Stone because I like those guys. But. I don't know, like, I don't know, I just, that's the thing, and then I'm not gonna let it ruin uh, something like Buffalo 66 and the Brown Bunny, which are big films for me, because he has said certain things, because those films are regardless of him at this point, I'm gonna be conscious now, like, because, I mean, this is talking about if I was certain he was doing something absolutely malicious now, because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I just don't know what he's doing, and I don't mean that as a way to, like, hide my secret alt-right affiliations or anything. Seriously, I just don't know what he's doing, and I just don't know what to think of it. And I'm hopefully, if I get more politically conscious in the future, I'll know what to think of it. Anyway, enough covering my ass there. The films exist regardless of whatever the creator might have done wrong. You know, that sounds bad almost. But the thing is, is that the work exists now. And by engaging with the work, unless you're like you know, potentially giving the dude money, which you get into some shadier areas, but if the work is preserving something you like, they're preserving a sensitivity beyond themselves, hopefully, if it's a great work. And so it doesn't have to be reduced to this idea of celebrities and all this. It can just be, you like what he's preserving there, which doesn't have to be connected to these hateful ideas, but be cognizant that they're not secretly in there, obviously. Like, and yeah just try and pick for yourself what's constructive like i said earlier so evaluate what you're getting from these movies and think oh there's actually secretly some like racist or whatever shit in this movie you don't have to you don't have to internalize that you know like i mean another example is uh newt hampson's pen a book a book i found a couple years ago at a bookstore i read it and it's oh my god it's so fucking good it's just I, everything in that book it just resonates with me so directly. Like I said earlier, it's like, uh, like when I saw I make an AMV, it's like I have this idea in my head and I want it out in the world, so I make it. Instead, I had this idea in my head and I want it out in the world, and Newt Hampson made it like a fucking hundred years ago. Good for him, and I love it. 
But then I fucking go read after I'm done the books. I didn't read anything about them. I didn't read anything about the books. I just found it in a bookstore, kind of based off some hearsay from a friend to check out the, the author. And I go online, I read about him, and he was like a fucking Nazi th sympathizer in the 40s. And it's like, okay, I didn't fucking know this. And I thought about the book, and uh, the book has nothing to at least from what I could parse and what I internalized of in it, because again, I talk like I'm, I'm not a very political person. Um, in those, I just can't think of those really broad terms of like parties and collectives and nations and races and all that. But when and like I thought about the book and I was like, I didn't, I didn't get anything from that that I think would be harmful in a way. So I'm not gonna think about it like I read the book by the Nazi guy. I'm going to think, I read the book with the cool insights into relationships and complexes or whatever, the male complexes, whatever the book's like doing. I don't want to get into it now because it would require too much specifics. But I'm just going to think about what I got from the book and not feel the need to, you know, hide my affection for it because the, this guy did bad things later. <laughs> so, uh, I, that's what I'm saying. And I, hmm, this is this is like a this is a different kind of topic. I didn't plan to talk about it, but like I think this kind of ties into what people call cancel culture now, and you know like where suddenly someone is their lives are ruined forever because something comes out of an X Y Z. Just from my perspective, I'm sure there's examples where a great deal of unjust things have happened or whatever, but I don't think cancel culture can really kill someone who's a big creative you know or not big creative but like a real creative person because with the internet and stuff if you're truly committed to doing whatever you want to do you can find ways to do it and there are certainly ways out of bad press like that's what cancel culture is bad press I, I i think i think there are ways out of it it can hamper your ability to have a career out of art especially and sure and I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of circumstances where these people can't really get normal jobs and there are a lot of problems and stuff, but um, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you're, if you're really a creative person, you, this reputation-damaging thing, you'll always be able to get your message out to people if you're committed enough to it, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. Just my thoughts on it. That'd be something i like to talk about with people in the future because maybe they've had experiences with those sort of things and there are circumstances where people's reputation being damaged has really hurt things and stuff. And it's weird because people lump Vincent Gallo under that category when the Brown Bunny got famously booted can. Rod Hubert called it the worst movie he'd ever seen at can, which, and then he gave it a positive review later, but whatever. Like, it had a ton of bad press, and uh, Gallo, like, I don't know, was kind of a, a hated figure after that. And I think probably still is to this day in a lot of ways. And people say... Well, then he couldn't release his next movie, which Promise is Written in Water, which is a movie that was shown twice at uh, Venice International Film Festival and Toronto International Film Festival, and then never shown again. And people were like, that's because, that's because the, the media killed him. The, the media uh, wants to eradicate this guy or whatever. It's, no, forget, Gallo put out the movie. Like, he showed it twice. And he said in, in the interviews past that, he was just like, he just didn't want to release it. He literally just didn't want to... He said dark energies of the public or whatever, just in his way of being over the top. Um, but in reality, like, you know, you look at it anyway. It's just like he just didn't want to release the movie for his own purposes. So it has nothing to do with being canceled, really against this sort of system. It's just about... um, Just, just, just do, do, do your own thing. And, and don't hurt people. Don't be a damaging, destructive person. And then I, I think things will work out for you. But, I mean... I'm sure there's circumstances where that hasn't happened, which I always gotta, I always gotta, gotta pull a little backpedal from something just because, just in case, God forbid, someone took something I say out of context, and be like, um, Zane says he hates foreign movies, but yet he likes this foreign movie, and Zane doesn't like foreign movies, but he makes AMVs, like, whatever, I, I, if you were probably, that's the thing, you know what, I'm gonna put a little plug here. Uh, if you want to say, if you think I'm full of shit, fucking comment. And if you want to come on the podcast and just have a discussion and hash it out, hell yeah. Especially, especially now when I've, I, I get strapped for guests. I need people. Just fucking comment. Hey Zane, fuck you. Add me on Discord. And then I'll definitely do that. I'd love to, love to talk it all out. Um, 
What else was I gonna say? Oh, yeah, I did want to... <laughs> okay, I want to put in this little plug because when I edited the last episode, I got in this really random tangent where I started talking about this Michael Jackson anime music video for his song Butterflies. And so I have to plug it again because I made this outro for it that I spent actually a fair bit of time like fucking with. Like I downloaded the AMV I really like, which if you want, it'll probably be in the description of this video. And I made a little outro for it. So I'm going to mention it here so that way it doesn't just come out of fucking nowhere. So enjoy the Michael Jackson Butterflies outro whenever that comes in like 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> what else can I talk about? Oh, something I mentioned on the, the last podcast when I was uh, being Mr. Articulate was that I, in terms of talking about not being a politically minded person, which I keep bringing up, which probably is very vague for a lot of people because I know there's a lot of people that are very passionate with their, their political perspectives and all that, and I, I totally appreciate that, but uh, I just mean, like, again, not being able to... Uh, I find it hard to just think beyond the individual, whatever. And not just me. Not just me, even though that's tough, too. Um, <laughs> thinking beyond myself, no. It's that... Like, Christopher Nolan movies... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta bring up the Christopher Nolan discourse for the episode ends. I'm just saying, like, I, I have a lot of trouble with his movies. But there's another thing, is that if I don't have... I know I don't like Christopher Nolan movies. Or, not that I don't like them, even. I just know I, I'm bored by them. Like, I saw... I, when I saw Interstellar in theaters, it was, like, the longest fucking movie experience of my life. And I don't even think it's that bad of a movie. I think there's cool shit going on in it. Just when I watch his movies, I just instantly... I'm just zonked. I'm just like, I'm just like instantly don't give a shit about anything that's happening. And I don't mean to, I try. It's just the way his dialogue is conducted, a lot of expositional kind of plot dialogue. And, um, it, yeah, just, I don't know, about the way he articulates himself, it's really hard. So when I saw Tenant in theaters recently, I was just, I sat down, I was like, I'm probably going to be bored during this movie. And I sat down, and I, I thought parts were cool. I like the little backwards parts. I like Robert Pattinson, because he's fucking awesome. And, but... Like, on the movie, I was, I was still fucking bored, and I knew it would happen. That's the thing. I didn't feel compelled to go rate the movie or go shit on the movie, like, rate the movie negatively or shit on the movie, because I knew it wasn't for me. And that's why when I... My rating system on Letterboxd and Rate Your Music and other places is that I give one star, or half star, one star, and then four star and five star. So the half star and one star are kind of like the movies I can articulate why I have qualms against them, and I really try to understand those movies as something n negative for, for what my, my sensibility is. And um, that's something I, 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 I said, a little cute little catchphrase last episode that I want to recycle here, or last episode, the episode that didn't exist, the episode that you'll never see because it's stupid. Uh, something I say is that you should understand the things you hate at least as much yeah, at least as much as the things you love. And I know that that's a weird thing to hear, but I just think hating something and going against it based off initial impulses, hearsay, impressions can be really destructive because sometimes those things that you, you start hating against for those reasons can be actually supporting things you support, you know? Like, you can... Like, if I... After I first saw The Brown Bunny, if I was just like, this movie's shit, I don't get it. I, not even I don't get it, because I don't think a lot of people would admit that. I think it would be like, this movie's shit, it's stupid, it has nothing to say, and there, I just missed out on something that ended up being really influential on me. So, I, I don't feel the need to half-star or one-star movies unless I'm like, I know that there's things I dislike about it. Like, 100%. Like, the last movie I rated one-star was, um, the Ian Curtis biopic Control, because it focused on absolutely nothing I found fascinating about Ian Curtis as a figure, and it just reduced his kind of life to this sort of soap opera-y, like, love triangle that every character is one-dimensional, and it just felt really gross. I don't know who it was for, because it, had, it didn't have a passionate portrait of his artistry or music, and it didn't have... It failed as a soap opera, even, for me. Like, I, I thought the, the, the romance in it and the kind of drama was incredibly contrived, so I don't know what people got out of that movie. So, that's something. I put a lot of thought into what that movie was, and I realized it gave me absolutely nothing, and, in fact, did negative things to things I love, where, like, I, I, I really love Ian Curtis and Joy Division's music, and, well, and, and his whole insights he preserved through his artistry, and this film had kind of besmirched that for me. Besmirched that for me. <laughs> and 
so in that way, I felt confident giving that a one star. But with something like Tenet, uh, it's not for me to give a one star. If for, it's for someone, if someone was a huge Christopher Nolan fan, they went through all his movies, they have the greatest time of their life watching them, they go through all his interviews. You don't even have to be that hardcore of a fan. Do you really like Christopher Nolan or you really like those kind of time travel movies? And then you go and watch it and are like, this did this wrong, this did this wrong, this was ineffective of what it was trying to do, and I'm sensitive to that, to what it's trying to do, and it, and it didn't do what it was supposed to do, or what it wanted to do was fucking stupid and harmful. And at that point, th yeah, absolutely, give it a one star. But that's not for me to decide, because I was just, I just, I was just numb the movie. Like, I, I didn't feel compelled seriously any other way. So then why do I have to rate it? Why do I have to, like... Because if I were to rate it, I'd realistically give that movie like a two and a half, two and a half, three star, I guess. I don't know. If I were to rate it, uh, out of five, that is. But wh why, like, why do I have to do that? Because now I've lowered this movie's average. Say people that follow me, um, who, who are sensitive to these things, would look at that rating and be like, oh, this movie isn't very good, I guess I shouldn't check it out. And now they already have like a kind of negative perception of it. But it has nothing to do with it. It's, it's your call to make. That's not my call. Uh, because like, but it, like, I, I mean, I'd say it's your call to make, not my call. But still, like, if I was sensitive to something like Control, if they were like, "Oh, I'd like Joy Division and Ian Curtis," oh, what's what do my friends rate Control? I rate it one star. They're like, "I know Zayn really likes these things. Why does he like it?" And then I'd be, I'd be glad that they have a negative con conception of it. I'd still want them to get their own opinion on it if they felt compelled, because I'd love to have that discussion and see if I was mistaken about it. But um, what like with Tenant. I, that's not my call. That's not my call because I'm not sensitive to those things. So I'm just saying don't feel the need to make a call unless you feel compelled to. And so like movies I think preserve something like extra good um, or are just exceptional ways that I'm sensitive to, they'll get the 4.5 or the 5 star because I, I mean, I want to support these movies that I want to support. You know, and that ties into what I was talking about earlier. Don't support things just because you feel like there's some obscure, like, arbiter of quality that you have to kind of uphold to or whatever. Because they might not have your best interests in mind, and you might be supporting something you don't want to support. You know, that's the, that's the worst part about peer pressure and kind of groupthink in that way. I'm, I'm glad I moved past the... Uh, I felt like I was getting off track there for a bit, but maybe I think we kind of brought it back home. We kind of brought it back home there. So let's see what the plans of this podcast are coming up. Um, do you have an interview with a potential guest coming up in the next couple of days? We'll see how that goes. Hopefully, maybe um, maybe if it doesn't go well, maybe we can schedule another one, something like that. Um, I don't know what frequency I'm going to be able to put these out, you know, because what if I run out of guests? What if guests start flaking and I have a schedule uphold? I don't want to put that pressure on people. And, like In a way, I don't want to put that pressure on myself. And yeah, fuck it, why not? I don't want to put that pressure on myself. I don't want to put that pressure on others. So I'm going to put out an episode whenever I feel um, it's ready. And I, like, I, I would love to be accountable to you guys, keep a schedule and all that. But I think just the nature of this with having a guest, what I hope to be every episode, maybe I'll do one when I feel the need to spew out some shit again. But... um. Yeah, I'm just going to put on an episode whenever it works out with the guest. I can get it edited, and it, it just feels right to me. So I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I've always done with it. With When I made AMVs, I would put them out just whenever I felt compelled. When I did Let's Plays, it was the same thing. So that's, that's just how I work, and that's where I'm comfortable. So I, mean, I know a lot of people can use deadlines effectively. I just uh, It doesn't work for me when I try to do these creative things. Um, other th other things I might want to say here before wrapping up. God damn it, I want to use the fucking last thumbnail. So I'll just name... <laughs> no, I was going to name everything in the last thumbnail that I didn't mention. So I made this baller thumbnail. I made this baller, like, collage thumbnail for the first episode of the take I recorded that I'm not going to use because I... I the, the infamous bad feedback Zane realized who his true friends were by them giving negative feedback on something, how dare they, um, episode, I made this really neat collage of everything I mentioned in it, which I'll probably just keep doing, because it's just an easy way to make a thumbnail, you're probably looking at the one I made for this one right now, um, so <laughs> what I was gonna do there was name everything I hadn't named yet from the last thumbnail, so that way I could just reuse it, but I'm not gonna do that, that'd be, that'd be a cheese move, and I'm not gonna do that, so...
else? I got a few minutes here. I got a few minutes of good stuff. Um, listen to the Beastie Boys commentary on their albums from Paul's Boutique to Hello Nasty. They did a like they did a commentary for the whole album for each one. It was cool. It was cool to hear them talk about it and just like chill. And they didn't feel compelled to say anything about the songs unless they really felt compelled to. They were just kind of chilling, and it was awesome, and I loved it. It was like a little Beastie Boys podcast. And yeah, I highly recommend you check that out if you're interested in the Beastie Boys. And if you're not interested in the Beastie Boys, which I wasn't for a while, check out Spike Jones's Beastie Boys story little TED Talk thing that, that they do. It's I didn't. I was just like, oh, License to Ill is a like Chris Gow A plus. It must be something interesting. Uh, I'm not just I'm not just blindly believing what he said. What he says, I just know Chris Gow's a respected critic. I've read a lot of his stuff. I got a feel for his sensibility, and I thought it seemed interesting. So I wanted to get into early hip hop, um, and I have beyond that. I'm not just sticking to the to the white boy shit. I swear. Um, but so yeah, I check out Beastie Boys story that Spike Jones Ted Talk movie, and it was it was fucking inspiring. Like Beastie Boys are inspiring. Like Adam Yauch is like a serious creative person. Like he he cares so much about about people, about different cultures. Again, I don't really know about that. Like I mean in terms of like like I don't know whether the Tibetan freedom stuff, I don't know what that means. But I think, you know, it's good on him to, to try to use his platform for something that felt actually genuine, like from what I could tell. And um yeah, it's just his willingness to just use just do crazy shit. I mean, he painted the whole fucking Shadrach video. He hand-painted every frame, and it's so cool. It's like one of my favorite music videos now. It's so good. So that, that film gives a really great portrait of just Yao creating a really creative environment, and Mike D and Ad-Rock just sticking with it, and like, like following with their friend through, and just becoming conscious people on their own through that influence. So good on them. And it's funny because another thing I hadn't expected would be that inspiring because it was like a, you consider it like a fucking, I don't know, just like the radio staple, like who gives a fuck, like the drunk guy at parties band, but Red Hot Chili Peppers Funky Monks documentary about the making of Blood Sugar Sex Magic, it's fucking inspiring. John Frusciante is so cool. John Frusciante is like one of my favorite people now. Of course, I, I found him through Gallo because Gallo did a few music videos for him and he did some music for the Brown Bunny that was on the soundtrack. But John Frusciante is a crazy smart guy and the rest of the band is just like super supportive. It's like it's like Beastie Boys but with like twice the amount of people who are less interested than the main guy. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm okay with that because they're all supportive. And Funky Monks is just this huge creative environment of... These guys getting together to just make the cool shit and just having a really open creativity to it. Like, I have a feeling like if you were to talk about anything in that house, bring up any sort of idea in the house where they were recording the album and the movie, they would be like, hell yeah, like, let's, let's hash this out. And that's the best mindset to have. That's a great way to close this. The best, and that's what I want on this podcast. The best mindset to have is that you can say anything, you can talk about anything as long as as you're willing to talk about it and have a constructive two-person dialogue. And I, I hope I can do that because I know I'm keen to monologue a lot. As you could tell, I can just go off by myself. And I, I noticed a lot of the comments on Mark Maron's WTF podcast, which is the podcast I listened to the most before this probably. Even though I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan or anything, but it was just fascinating. Um, was that Mark talks too much. Mark talks a lot. And I never, I never felt that. I always thought he was just trying to give his own perspective and have a conversation rather than an interview. And that's what I'm going to be aiming towards, too. So if you guys keep saying, Zane, shut the fuck up. The other person talk. I'm sorry. And I, I hope I don't get out of hand with that. But I do want to preface that with I do want to have a conversation. And I, I want to... I want to hash things out with people. And I want them to feel like they can say anything they want. And I want to feel like I can say anything I want, obviously. Because... I'm not going to try to enforce any preconceptions here. My main goal here is that people internalize what's the best for them and, and what they believe they want for themselves, like obviously. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good place to end this. Big open Articulating Insight podcast. Tune in whenever the fuck I post it, and hopefully we can have a conversation. Uh... I'll even respond to comments, at least at the start, or it, 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 like, 
this is going to take off. Oh, yeah. People are going to really care about what I have to say, especially after this this episode. But <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. This will be an interesting journey. And, um, yeah, so I guess I'll close with just saying enjoy the Michael Jackson Butterflies music video. And tune in next time to hear me talk more about My Little Pony Season 4. <laughs> tune in next time. Yeah.